Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Two Smart Dummies podcast. It's been a minute. Beatty, what's up, man? What up, man? Just long break. Thanksgiving. Back at it. Yeah. Hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Did you spend time in that country-ass Oklahoma of yours? No. No, I did not. Spent Thanksgiving up here. Probably go down for Christmas or something. And I don't like your attitude when you talk about my town, so check that. <laughs> uh, you know, I was uh, I was down in Atlanta, uh, you know, which is not where I normally am for any reason. <laughs> and I don't know if you ever noticed, like... You ever go to a big city now? Because you know, living in Fayetteville, it's just uh, kind of small, laid back, relaxed. And then you go to a big city, and it's just tension everywhere, and you <laughs> like all tense, and people going all fast and angry for some reason. Yep, yep. Especially on the highways. I mm-hmm. hate being on the highways. It'd be like nothing's going on, and dudes are just like in a rush to get everywhere. Like chill out and, and angry. Yeah. <laughs> Tuesday, two o'clock. Yeah, you ain't got nowhere to be. I know it. <laughs> so that's what I did. Uh, sorry, y'all, for not getting a pod out last week. We tried. Um, I can't remember what happened, but uh, you were too busy as usual. Mm, that's the excuse I like to use. One day, one day it'll be true. <laughs> um, all right, man. Let's get into some things. We got a lot to catch up on. Um, the NFL playoff picture is starting to to come into play. Uh, we've got. Um, same thing with college football. Um, Duke is not as invincible as everyone thought. As I said, no, they cannot beat the Cleveland Cavaliers. They can. They can barely beat. Oh, but they can't. They they can, but they can't beat Gonzaga. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, we uh, we can get in this debate, but we both know that playing college and playing the NBA, you open that floor up to R.J. Barrett and uh, Zion Williams a lot different than having someone stand in the paint. But we'll get into that later. And then uh, we got some basketball to talk about. We've got Jimmy Butler has been traded since uh, the last time we spoke, uh, as well as KD and Draymond Green getting into some some issues. Uh, so we'll see if, if that's going to be long-lasting. The Warriors are kind of struggling with their life right now without Steph Curry. Um, so let's get into it, man. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the NFL playoff picture. We're in um, going into week 13, and I – Outside of the top three teams, I'm not sure who's good and who is marginal. Um, well, at this point, I think man, the Rams, I don't even think it Chiefs matters, and, though. Yeah, I mean, maybe. But I think the Rams, Chiefs, and, and Saints have separated themselves, particularly uh, the Saints. Um, they've kind of separated themselves from, from the rest of the pack. Yeah, the NFC, I definitely think it's the Saints. And it's the uh, Rams. And I believe that the Saints dominated the Rams when they played, but that might have been in New Orleans. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, it's the Saints and the Rams. I don't see any other team. All these teams that are in the hunt, they're severely flawed. Um, the Eagles, my team, Carson Wentz is obviously not healthy, and that defense is just all beat up. Uh, you can look at Dallas. Dallas shows some signs of life, but I just don't trust Dak. He's kind of like the next version of Tony Romo. I don't think he can get them far. Um, Redskins look good until Alex Smith went down with the leg injury. So I just don't see a lot of teams that's competing in the NFC. 
Now, the Chiefs in the AFC, I do think the Chiefs are good. They've been dominant. But I think there are some teams that can compete with the Chiefs. So I think the Chiefs aren't open and shut. You know, you always got the Patriots waiting. Um, I still like the Chargers. I don't – I mean, I don't know why. But I think the Chiefs will have some competition in the playoffs. NFC, I think it's New Orleans or the Rams. Probably New Orleans. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I will say don't sleep on the Bears. Um, the Bears have a really good defense that I think could throw people for, for a loop. Um, and Mitch Trubisky has, is kind of doing just enough not to lose games. One thing about – Do you trust uh, him, though? Absolutely not. All right, then. Um, <laughs> but I do trust that defense. Yeah, yeah. But you still got to put points on the board. I mean, once you get in the playoffs – I mean, both teams are theoretically going to be good. And do you trust Mitchell Trubisky to make the plays when the pressure's on? I don't think either one of us do. One thing about the Cowboys real quick is uh, Tony Romo is an infinitely better quarterback than Dak. I, I get your overall point, but, man, for someone who hates the Cowboys, I for whatever reason, man, I've always loved Tony Romo. And maybe that's because my team has had a bad quarterback forever. Um, not including Derek Carr, but just in general over over the span of Tony Romo's career, I was a big Tony Romo fan. I just was. Um, I mean, Romo was a good quarterback. I liked Romo. I think Romo goes underappreciated by Dallas fans. But the one thing is that Romo couldn't get you out of the big games, and that's one thing that has always be part of his legacy. Is that what he was only out of the first round once, or only run a playoff game once? Is that right? Right. Yeah, but should have got to the Super Bowl if it wasn't for uh, the NFL kind of screwing them over. Which play? The Des Bryant play? Yeah. Uh huh. Well, so you know, I get it. Good. They didn't need to be there anyway. Um, and then uh, yeah, I mean, as far as that, the rest of the NFC is kind of just not there. But then you look over at the AFC, and New England has quietly worked their way into a two seed. But I don't think this New England team is any good. Um, but it's the one thing about this New England team is it's dangerous because they have a lot of versatility. Um, those backs with James White and Sony Michelle, if Josh Gordon can figure it out with Edelman, Edelman, I mean that could be. And you still got Gronk working the middle. Gronk hadn't really been healthy all season, so they still have a lot of potential to turn it on. I'm not counting out the Steelers. The Steelers have looked pretty pretty good lately. So, I mean, I still think that AFC, even though the Chiefs have been pretty dominant, it still feels like it's wide open. Yeah, my theory on on the whole Gronk thing is that he's not been hurt. They're just trying to save him. I think that this is probably, we're in the last, we're definitely in the twilight of Gronk's career. Um, I just don't think he can play a full season. I don't know if he wants to play a full season anymore, but it wouldn't shock me if he retired over the next if this offseason or the next one. Um, well, you just, know they were – in the offseason, they were going to trade him, but the only reason they – They almost they got did, a first for him. Yeah, but but he said that if he got traded, he was going to retire. He only yeah. wants to play in New England, so if they would have moved him anywhere, he was going to retire. So it is – we are winding down to the end of Gronk's career. Makes sense. Um, there's not a lot of tight ends that play a long time. Everyone can't beat Tony Gonzalez, and he takes a lot of punishment catching those balls over the middle, so I can understand. And then lastly, I just want to touch real quick on Dallas. Um, as I said before, I – Dallas know, get Amari so, Cooper. Now you want to talk about the Cowboys. Well, I just <laughs> want to say, like, I mean, Amari Cooper has been everything that they've wanted – they've needed. And I have said all along that Amari Cooper is a great receiver. 
Um, he just had a baby back bitch trying, you know, behind him, not throwing him the ball. But you see what happens when when Amari Cooper gets the ball in his hands. I mean, the dude is dynamic. He's fast. He's a precise route runner. Um, and now if you're Dallas and you're six and five, and you even if you finish eight and eight at worst, so you're talking about you know what the 16th, 17th, 18th pick. That doesn't. That's not looking so bad for Amari Cooper. Yeah, I mean. Amari Cooper and Dallas, they've been the perfect fit for each other because even the games where he wasn't a part of the game plan and he didn't make a big impact, he did make an impact because having that type of receiver opens the run game up. So ever since he's been there and Ezekiel's just opened up, um, I think Dak gets a bad rap because he hasn't had weapons around him since he's been in Dallas. I mean, he had Daz. The only weapon he had was Witten, who was at the end of his career. You finally gave him a weapon, and with this weapon, he hadn't even had a full offseason with him, so the chemistry's not there. So all the stuff that I hear about Dak this, Dak that, well, in order to be a good quarterback, you do need weapons. There's not a lot of players that are making people better like Tom Brady. You know what I mean? Even Peyton Manning had Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne. He had weapons. There's not a lot of quarterbacks out there that's throwing for a lot of yards without weapons. And they finally got Dak some weapons. And that's what you have to do for a young quarterback. So I think we can't judge Dak until we put legitimate receiving weapons around him. You can't go get Tavon Austin and Allen Hearns and who can't be doing it with off brand guys. Yeah, I mean, it's just trash. And they don't even got a tight end. You don't even got a security blanket over the middle for them. So, of course, they're going to stack the box and force them to beat plays. Dak isn't a throw-it-in-the-coverage-type quarterback. He's not going to be throwing people open. He doesn't do that. You shouldn't expect him to. He's a West Coast quarterback at best. So, if you had to make a prediction right now. Well, actually, let me ask you this. Are who are there any teams that have just shocked you this year? Um, I th- you know Going into the year, I thought there was going to be some teams that were bad that, um, you know, just – have actually done pretty well this year and for me that's uh the seattle seahawks and obviously the chicago bears are out playing expectations for sure well i thought the bears would be good i mean i just thought that mitchell was a little bit better than people thought and i like their defense i'm really shocked at how bad the eagles were a little bit of super bowl hangover and arrogance and this is even before they start having the secondary issue but carson Wentz just hadn't looked healthy um another team is the falcons what happened to the Falcons? I mean, I can understand. I'll tell you right now what happened to them. <laughs> Here you go. Steve Sarkeesian happened to them. <laughs> they just have way too many weapons to not be getting it done. They just look so mediocre, and it shouldn't be that way. So I'm really surprised by the Falcons. I'm really surprised by the Eagles. Um, on the on the oh the Jaguars, man, that defense doesn't even look the same anymore. To go with Blake Bortles and Fournette being hurt all year, I mean, it's just just crazy how much things can change in one year in the NFL. Well, and it also goes to show you that, you know, playing the an easy strength of schedule can make you look better than you are. Um, now, Jacksonville's just been bad this year. I mean, they, they've just been flat out bad. Um, but, you know, they, they did play an easy schedule last year because they're always finishing at the bottom of their division. Yeah. So they, usually, they either get a third or fourth place schedule. And now you're playing a first place schedule. But still, um, yeah, they, they have just been a, an atrocity this year. Um, they finally benched Blake Bortles, who, you know, I think, is, that's got to be over. That that's got to be over. But you, I mean, can you cut him right just, now? They just signed him to their fresh contract. So unless they're going to get someone to take him, which is possible in the off season, because there's a lot of bad quarterback situations. And we talk about Blake Bortles, but whatever we say about him, he has thrown for four thousand yards. So it may be a situation. I believe it's a situation where it's just bad coaching, not using him, and not having confidence in him. But you know, 
who knows? I mean, he had the kid obviously has talent. He can use his feet. He's thrown for 4,000 yards in like three consecutive seasons. He just throws a lot of picks, decision-making, and that can be fixed. Drew Brees threw for a lot of picks when he first got in the league. Uh, well, I think that I should actually end the show right now for you bringing up Drew Brees when we're talking about Blake Bortles. I, I don't that, appreciate it's it. It's not that far out of bounds when you think about Drew Brees and his first No, no, it's out of charge. bounds, okay? Don't make me get to Stephen A. Smith up in here. Hey, you can. We can debate it. We can go look at those I'll, stats. Before he got with Sean Payton, that's how Phillip Rivers took his spot. Because before he got with Sean Payton, he wasn't the Drew Brees you know right now. He got with the offensive coordinator. He, no, 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 no. That last, year, that last year in San Diego, the last couple years, that Drew last Brees year, was Drew Brees. Not the last couple. But it wasn't until he got with Sean Payton. Which is it? When he got with Sean Payton. <laughs> but what? Who was he with in in, in San Diego last year? Oh no! I rest my case. So now, so you're building your whole argument. So if Blake Bortles get a good offensive coordinator next year and he throws for a lot of yards, we can compare him to him. I can't see it happening because Blake Bortles has never had a good year. So uh, hey, just because there's he threw a lot for 4, of there's yards, a lot of teams that would like that four thousand yards. Um, and then you, I mean, so that division is actually very interesting. The, the Titans have been boo-boo, just complete, utter stank. Um, but somehow they've won five games and people thought they were going to win the division. But the Colts are red hot. They've won five in a row and they're six and five and they look like they could steal a wild card spot. But they're two games behind the Houston Texans who are even hotter winning eight games in a row. Um, and people talk about, Bill O'Brien being fired at the beginning of the year. When they started off 0-3, they were ready to fire him, and, you know, here we are. Um, do you think that's more to do with the players finally getting it, O'Brien settling down, or, or you know, um, Deshaun Watson coming into his own? I think it's just Deshaun Watson coming into his own. You know, he was coming off the ACL injury, and he didn't look right when he first started the season. He finally got some confidence in the sitting in the pocket and making those passes. Um, I had this theory about whenever you tear your ACL – it's where you like what are you doing when you tear it because that's what people have to get over and what I mean by that if you look at Deshaun Watson early in the season he tore his ACL sitting in the pocket so he was really reluctant to sit in the pocket and he kept scrambling out scrambling out well he finally started to sit in the pocket and see the field on the flip side Carson Wentz tore his ACL running so now you see him staying in the pocket for way too long. He's not extending plays anymore. So now that Deshaun Watson is comfortable and able to use his weapons, you're seeing, you're seeing the Houston Texans live up to the potential that everyone thought they should be. Now the Colts are dangerous too, but I want to give you know credit to Frank Wright because a lot of people were saying that we don't know how much he was involved because he was the Eagles offensive coordinator last year. Now the Eagles offense doesn't look that innovative anymore. And the Colts just look like they're tearing it up. So you see a lot of the stuff that you saw from the Eagles, the way they use their running backs, the way their scheme and getting people open, that um, gunslinger mentality. You see a lot of that with the Colts, and that's missing from the Eagles. And not, not a lot of people gave Frank Wright credit when he left. They were just saying that he was just there for show, and it's all Doug Peterson. But I think that's showing a little bit different right now. Yeah, so... Um... I'm interested to see how this playoff race goes down. Um, you know, Andrew Luck looks like Andrew Luck again. Um, he brought Eric Ebron back to life. Uh, I still think they need some sort of running game because, you know, the three backs they have there, um, unless they're playing me in fantasy, they don't really do anything in real life. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so, but I really, uh, I really I'm like curious Hines. to see how it goes down. I really like Hans and I like Wilkins. I mean, I think that Marlon Mack is good, but obviously he can't stay healthy. But I think if they were to just if they just went with the young core of Wilkins and Hines of that combination, I think that that's going to be the future for them. Before we move, well, unless they get a Le'Veon Bell, I did. Knows? I did see that Le'Veon uh-huh. Bell says he wants to play with Luck, and can't pass that up if you can get it. Um, before we move on, uh, real quick, are we fine? And I know we've been saying this for man at least the past six years. Are we done with the Marvin Lewis era in Cincinnati? And what did you make of Baker Mayfield kind of taking some shots at Hugh Jackson? Clearly, the Browns, as you know, is shocked to no one were have been and were dysfunctional um and that was evident in that hard knocks um season but what do you make of that well as far as the um marvin i man i don't i don't know man he's one of those good guys that that is hard to let go of so that's what we thought about jeff fisher for a long time it took what 20 years to get him off the titans so i can't say for sure that his his run is over but as far as the Baker Mayfield, at least Jeff Fisher was going thirteen and three every ten uh, years. No, well, every ten years, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, but a Super Bowl and then a couple 13, 3, 12, and four seasons scattered in there. Yeah, well, Marvin should Marvin needs a, a change of scenery. But as far as the Hugh Jackson Baker thing, once I heard the interview, I kind of understood what Baker's saying. I mean, I kind of agree. He said it basically. Hugh was in their locker room begging them to play for him. And then after he gets fired, he goes to a team in the same division that they play two times a year. Not even, what, a week after he's over there before you play him? So, of course, he's going to be giving them information about the team. Obviously, it wasn't good information because they got their ass kicked. But <laughs> Exactly why he got fired. Because <laughs> so he, he obviously didn't know what was going on. But, I mean, I understand. You can't be in the locker room, you know, saying I'm your guy and then go to the team that we're playing the following week. What kind of loyalty is that? Yeah. Uh, you know, well, I, I think that if Cincinnati – I mean, it's been time for them to clean house forever, so we'll we'll, we'll see if that actually comes to fruition. Um, but but we're mean, actually operating like the Cincinnati owner is trying to win games. I mean, I think he's the Donald Sterling of football. Man, he's just trying to trying to get a paycheck, make it as profitable I mean, as pro- that might possible. Be true. Let's move on to college football. We had um, Michigan get the brakes beat off of them by Ohio State. Trash. Um, so. What does this mean for the college football playoff coming into uh, coming into? I mean, we should know tonight where the rankings come out, which you know, whatever. But I wish they just release them instead of doing this stupid party at <laughs> seven o'clock. But whatever, it brings in ratings. I guess, and I don't watch a second of that ever. Yeah, me either. So. But there are people that love it. I mean, I could care less. But I mean, I don't think it means much because it doesn't do anything. Just prove to me that Michigan wasn't as good as we thought they were. But it doesn't mean that Ohio State. Is as good as better now. I mean, at the end of the day, Ohio State still gave up 49 points to Purdue. So I don't want to hear all this shit about uh, Ohio State should get in over OU because Ohio State plays defense. I mean, oh, this is personal for you. My bad. Yeah, it is very real personal. I've been hearing that all weekend. How do you play defense and you gave up 49 points to Purdue? Then you gave up 51 points to Maryland. (laughs) I mean, that's not defense to me. So, I mean, I just I just think that um, Ohio State does this every year. They get beat, and then at the end, they play some cupcakes and run up the score. Like, next week, they'll beat Nor- Northwestern by 80 points, and everybody will be like, oh, that shows they should be in. I don't think so. This is still the flawed, same flawed team that we saw before. 
That defense is flawed. They would have gave up a lot more points if the Big Ten had better quarterbacks. Because I watched some of those games against Indiana and whoever else, and those people just couldn't complete passes. So that defense is not that good for Ohio State. And it doesn't change anything for me. Well, I still think that University of Central Florida, even though they've lost their quarterback, should jump both those teams. But Definitely not. Uh, I, I mean, I, look, man, fair is fair. They've been undefeated for the past eight years. Get in so a real it's, conference. It's time, man. Get in a real it's, conference. It's time. That's what, uh, but, didn't Boise State join the conference? I don't know. I think Boise think State so. joined the conference. They need to get in a better conference. I'm tired of this 13-0, and whatever, playing – if if OU can't get credit for beating Florida International, then UCF can't either. So, I mean, it looks like it's just going to come down to the SEC championship for Oklahoma or Ohio State. I, I mean, I still think if Georgia beats Alabama, then you're screwed either way. Because I still think that then, you know, if Georgia beats Alabama in the title game, then I think both of those teams get in. Um, and then, you know, like I said, I, I think Oklahoma's kind of in the driver's seat if they went out, assuming that Georgia loses to Alabama, um, which I think they will. Um, but like I said, if Georgia beats Alabama, I still think you're looking at Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Georgia as your, as your playoff. Um, you're going to have a hard, they're going to have a hard time justifying that. And they're going to get a lot of outrage for that system. If that does happen, then that's going to be one of those system changing things. Like, I mean, we've had a couple, we, we have a couple of markers where we know how the system changed. Like when OU got in over Auburn that one year, that changed the system. When USC and, uh can't remember who they tied with in 2003, got split champion, that changed the system. Uh, LSU. Yeah, so a couple of things have changed the system. So if, o, if, if Georgia beats Alabama and Alabama and Georgia both get in, they're going to have to put six teams in because they're just pretty much saying that conference championships don't mean anything. Last time the Big 12 got skipped over was because they didn't declare a conference champion and um, they had a split champion and then they didn't have a conference championship game. Now the Big 12 has changed it where they're the only conference that plays every team and they play the second best team. That's the only conference to do that. They play every team in the conference and the two best teams in the conference play each other for the championship. So if they're able to jump, if Alabama loses the championship and they're able to jump a conference champion, what does conference championships mean? I'm just saying. I mean, I'm I, especially just, if it, if it's a close game, doesn't matter. You know, if it's a blowout, that's one thing. I th- I just I I know how people work. I know that. I mean, I don't care what anybody says. College football is there to make money, and I still think that having Alabama out of the playoff is. Even if they put a team like Oklahoma or Ohio State in, I think that Alabama's gonna make them more money. So that's who they're gonna put in. I mean, that might be the case. I just don't I just don't know how they justify any team having a conference championship if it doesn't mean anything. Because Notre Dame is kind of skating in right now because they don't have a conference championship. They don't have a championship that they have to play. But they're gonna get in because they're Notre Dame. Anybody else would get knocked for that. But they'll get in because they're Notre Dame. So if you get Notre Dame to get in who doesn't have a conference championship and then you get Alabama in that lose the conference championship, then you're going to have two of the four teams in that didn't win a conference championship. So what is the benefit of me playing a conference championship? I can just be declared champion by winning the regular season. That conference championship is just an extra game that I could lose. So if that doesn't matter, why why do teams have it? Well, maybe we can ask future coach of the Cleveland Browns, Condoleezza Rice. Uh, <laughs> you know, she's on the playoff committee, so maybe she'll get to answer that question for us. Lord Jesus. They're they're just, man, I don't know what they're doing. If that's even a consideration that you would float, 
I don't I don't know what the Browns are doing, man. And not because she's a woman. No, just because she's clearly, never coached. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's there's been no co- like it's not like she's you know, um, what's my girl's name? Uh, uh, Becky. Becky Hammond. Uh, Becky Hammond. It's not like she's Becky Hammond, you know what I mean? Like sitting and coaching for a little bit or, or something like that. I mean, no, that yeah. don't make any Just be sense. clear. If there was a report that Obama was going to coach the Bears or the Bulls, I'm going to say the same thing. I don't care how much <laughs> basketball this dude played in pickup games. You can't just go coach the Bulls just because you're the leader <laughs> of the world. Like, no, it doesn't work like that. You got to have relevant experience in your job. Yeah, so, you know. Um all right, man, are you surprised that USC did not fire their head coach? Because usually they don't mess around. And speaking of head coaches, uh, Mac Brown is back at the University of North Carolina, so that's kind of nice. But uh, what about USC? Are you surprised they kept uh, Clay Helton after being boo-boo for the past three and a half, four years? Uh, yeah, but, I mean, at some point you got to start having some consistency because of the penalties that they had. you got to start letting your coach develop his own recruiting class. Um, they weren't – they weren't bad the first two years. They just couldn't get past uh, – who were they losing to? Was it Notre Dame or Michigan State? I think every year they lost to give themselves two losses to keep them out of the playoffs. But they actually played well when they had um, Ro- Rosen. Was it Rosen? No, it was Darnold. Darnold. They actually played well when they had Darnold. They were in consideration. Now, this year – Well, they went to that Rose Bowl against uh, Penn State, which was a great game, and that's what, you know – I think Clay Helton's still living off that. I mean, I don't want to hear anything else about the whole penalties thing. Look, that's been they've been off of that for seven years now or six years, whatever it is. Lane Kiffin was the one who had to deal with that. But they weren't. But they so. but they haven't been bad this year. They were bad, but the last two years they just kind of underachieved. But they weren't bad. They were in the yeah. conversation up until the end, and then they lo- they would lose their last game. I want to say it was against Ohio State or somebody, but there was like two big games in those both years where they needed to win because they lost early. They lost early in the year, and they needed to win a game to get into that conversation, and they would lose their game. So they ended up going to the Rose Bowl. So I don't think you should just kick coaches out because they got two losses and three losses because there's a lot of bad coaches out there, and they've seen that. So I think this dude is a good coach. He just needs to find a way to get over the hump. Well, they fired the entire staff besides him, so we'll see. That's who what they you, bring you got to do uh, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then last, like I said, Mac Brown's back. Do you think that's good for college football, or is it kind of he's past his prime? And you know, why would you hire a seventy-year-old guy? Why is it that North Carolina is the place to go to get old coaches to try to you know reignite that flame? I mean, it's not going to happen. We all know that. You don't got. You're not going to get the type of talent that you need to go there. I mean, they got Butch Davis. Now they're getting Mac Brown. Mac Brown's problem was is that he wasn't recruiting. If you can't recruit in college football, then you're not going to have a team. So what does it matter? I mean, if you're going to get 70 and 80 year old coaches that are no longer recruiting, then you're not trying to win. You got to come go get some innovative guys, some younger guys that'll get out on that trail and get you some talent. This college football now is all about recruiting. Even if you get a bad coach in there for three years, if he can recruit, he can stock the cupboard so when you do get a good coach, they can come in and hit the ground running. If you're not doing that, then you're not really trying to build up your program. That's how I feel about it. All right, so let's talk about let's let's switch gears and let's go to uh, you thinking that uh, Duke could beat an NBA team when they cannot beat a college basketball team. I'm, uh, you know, bro. I don't I just think that Cleveland. Can come to college basket right, get basketball right now 
with the college basketball rules and go undefeated. I do not think the Cavaliers can come in right now with the team that they have and go undefeated in college basketball. <coughs> I do not think they can do it. And I do right. think that Duke, if you put Duke with the same rules in the NBA, that they can beat Cleveland. You have at least three lottery picks in there and probably two late first rounders in their top five right now. R.J. Barrett is a top 10 pick. Zion Williams is a top 10 pick. Cam Reddish is probably a tight top 10 pick. Um, Tyus Jones' little brother is probably a, you know, teens, late first round pick. Like, that team is talented. Who you got? Colin Sexton, who didn't really lead Alabama anywhere. Tristan Thompson from Canada. <laughs> you ain't got nobody out there to be scared of. Uh, all I'm going to say is professionals are professionals for a reason. Uh, you know, there, there's no amateur team that can be, that can beat a professional team. It just can't happen. You, you can go all the way back to the, the dream team story with, with all the college players, the best college basketball players had to offer and they couldn't score a point on, you know, on the pros. I mean, and I know you're talking about Michael Jordan and all that stuff, but that's just, that's what it is, man. Like you you can't, you can't discount that you're talking about Michael Jordan, Magic John, like not just any, NBA. We're talking about greatest player, best of player of all, all time. I time. get it. You know what I mean? And I uh, think I think that the college players did win a scrimmage. Man, that was a BS. They, nope, they, nope. The, the story is also was that those guys were just messing around. Nope, nope. They won. They won. It's it's, it's documented. Chuck Daly was it? Chuck Daly. It was yeah. Chuck Daly. Chuck Daly. They won. What, what happened when they figured out they was playing for? Hey, it don't matter. You just need to win one game. That's what we talk about didn't here. Score right? a point. <laughs> A point. That's what we're talking about here. But, man, the Cleveland Cavaliers aren't that good right now. What's Zion Williamson going to do with Kevin Love? Nothing. Kevin Love's not on the court. I'm talking about the Cavs. No, we're not anticipating. We're talking about can they beat the Cavs right now? Nothing. No, they can't. Yes, they can. They can't. I think they can. No, they can't. I think they beat them by 10. Wow. All right. That's just silly. (laughs) Who's holding holding R.J. Barrett? Who on that team can hold R.J. Barrett? Any of them. Nobody can hold okay. R.J. Barrett. These are grown men. You talking about grown man, men going against we're, 17, we're, talk, we're not talking about football, though. I mean, we we both know as a basketball player, if you have talent, it don't matter your age. I'm sure R.J. Barrett and Zion Williams scrimmage with NBA players all the time. So I'm sure they do, but but you got to talk about grown men bodies. Yeah, that's that only matters. Versus, that only matters for big men. I mean, you got but it, nah, Shea Gillis. It, it does. Shea Gillis Alexander right now is probably. What, six foot, 110 pounds, and he's out there scoring 12, 13 points a game for the Clippers, and he's a rookie, and that dude is skinny. So, I mean, it's. Yeah, but you, you're talking about he's learning how to play in a pro system. I mean, that just, it's not the same as a college team who plays 28 games a year, 30 games a year, whatever it is, going against a team that's going to play 84 games in a year. I mean, these dudes have had an offseason of strength and condition. I mean, it's just, it's real. If any team can get four lottery picks, they're probably going to be better unless you're the Sacramento Kings that just don't know what to do with talent. But usually if you add four lottery picks to most teams, they're going to be better. And you have four lottery picks on this on this team right now. You have four, well, not four, you have three lottery picks and probably two late first rounders. That's crazy. And yeah, they did lose to Gonzaga, but you expect that with young teams. I mean, young teams do that. It don't. It won't oh. matter when it gets in the tournament. Uh, we've wasted enough time on this garbage. That's never gonna happen. But <coughs> let's move to the NBA. I, I don't really have much to say about college basketball. Um, do you think that any team can compete with Duke this year? Like, not even not NBA, but do you think on the college level that there's a team that can knock Duke off? 
Uh, yeah, I think I think Kansas probably could. I, I mean, I, I think that didn't they dominate Kansas? No, that was Kentucky. No, yeah, they beat the hell out of Kentucky. Um, but yeah, I, I think I and look the difference between college basketball and call and the pros is it's a seven games or one game series versus seven game series. So yeah, I mean it could happen anytime. You just saw it. Gonzaga just beat them. Um, so yeah, I mean it can happen. Yeah, the um, concern I have about this Duke team, I mean they're super athletic and super talented, but the consistency of outside shooting—that's what it usually comes down to in college basketball. I don't know how consistent this Duke team can be shooting the ball from outside. So anytime you get a team that can shoot with them, that can hit that three ball, it's probably going to give them some trouble. Yeah. So um, that's my extent on college basketball i actually have only watched one game this year and that was the game i was at which <laughs> the arkansas razorbacks beat the uh indiana hoosiers by a point great game um anyway let's move on man let's get to uh let's get to some professional basketball and that's sad um, because there was a lot of good college basketball on today you're gonna have to you're gonna have to brush up on your college, today i mean not today this weekend um you have to brush up on your college basketball knowledge I would rather pluck my ass hairs than watch college basketball <laughs> for an entire day. There's a lot of talent out there, man. Mm. I and I love basketball. I just cannot. I can I'll, I'll catch a game every now and again, but for the most part, I just don't like college basketball. It gets kind of dry, man. But you know, there's there's some interesting games. You should at least be able to catch the the prime time games. I mean. You can't be all about the NBA and not look at the talent going to the NBA. I mean, there's a lot of – there's going to be a really good draft class this year. There's going to be a really, really good heavy guard draft class this year. And you might want to get up on that knowledge. So, <laughs> let's talk about <laughs> – speaking of, of amazing guards coming to the NBA, uh, let's talk about your boy, uh, Markel Fultz, uh, looking like – Either this ain't gonna happen for him. It's certainly pro- it's probably not gonna happen for him in Philly. Uh, but we're back to having shoulder issues. We're back to having a lot of issues. What's the deal? Well, the mysterious question that's floating around is what's wrong with his shoulder? There's a lot of a lot of weird reports coming out, like that he was cleared by Philly, but he doesn't think it's right. But then there's a motorcycle accident that may be, may have happened and or ATV accident that may have happened and they were trying to protect him. But like it's really weird business. At the end of the day, how I feel about Markel Fultz is he's extremely talented, but he was never built to handle the pressures that would come with being the first number one pick. And for me, that was proven by going to Washington. Because I don't think any guard of his caliber would have went to Washington without having a couple of more people come. Now, I know there's a lot of talent that comes out of Washington that you can go at the same time, like when, uh, who was there? Nate Robinson? Was it when Nate Robinson was there? Not Nate Robinson. Uh, well, whoever. The only time that there's been a lot of talent is when there are people go go together. I believe it was like Terrence Ross and Nate Robinson and somebody else. They all went there together. But if you're not doing that, why wouldn't you go to a major program? That showed me that he just... He wasn't built for that. He needs to be a cog on a team, but it has to be a team that has confidence in him. Kind of like what I was talking about with Blake Bortles. Guards, their confidence is big. The coach has to have confidence in you, has to let you go, let you make mistakes, let you shoot the ball. That kid is extremely talented, but obviously the Sixers don't believe in him. He needs to change the scenery. I think he's still going to be good. This could be a Chauncey Billup situation. He's going to be good. He just has to get the right system. Yeah, I definitely don't. 
I definitely don't think this situation where you, you I mean if you're Philly you probably say all right you probably need to go somewhere else but Chauncey Billups actually wasn't playing bad back in the day um he just couldn't play for Rick Pitino um, but I think it's the same I don't think that Markel because if you watch Markel Fultz play he isn't necessarily playing bad like even even when he plays well you can tell the team not even coach brown but the players like Joel and B you can see it like he'll go he'll go into his move and throw the ball and somebody will miss it and you can just see the looks on the players faces to show that he doesn't have the support of that coach or his teammates and without that you're nothing as a point guard like if you can't make mistakes I mean look at a player like Darian Fox that dude probably turns the ball over like 30 times a game but nobody cares cuz you know he's talented he doesn't get that leeway in this system and that's the problem. Well, but you're also one of the th- one of the difference. The main difference is the Sixers. And if you're Brett Brown, you don't have time to, to you know that that's one of the the drawbacks of being a top team and getting a number. My dog is the loudest drinker <laughs> ever. Murph. All right. Uh, the difference is, you know, when you're a top team and you're you're in the conference finals or you're playing for playoff spots. Now, if you get the top pick, that's great. But, man, you really don't have time to teach because your job is on the line because now people know how good Joel Embiid is, how how good Ben Simmons is, and they have expectations. And now that you got Jimmy Butler, I mean, the expectations are kind of, you know, conference finals, finals, or bust. Well, that's why, um, that's why I think Philly's a bad organization because they should never have traded up. They knew what they had in talent before the draft started. They could have just sat in that spot and let talent fall to them. But instead of letting Jason Tatum fall to them or, you know, letting a player fall to them, at three, when you already have an abundance of talent, that's what you do. You just sit there and you let the the player fall to you. That's what the Lakers did. They didn't trade up to get Lonzo. They just sat there and let somebody fall to them. Jason Tatum would have probably fell right to them if they would have sat there. But they traded up and gave up assets to move up to get Fultz. Why? You didn't even need Fultz. So that's why they're a bad organization, and they don't develop talent. You're either good when you get there or you're not. But they're not developing talent. That's what happened to Noel. That's what happened to uh, Okafor. I mean, they're not a great organization. They just got lucky with Embiid and Ben Simmons. I mean, when you're drafting 17 lottery picks over the last five years, you better at least get two. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you you think that. (laughs) Um, But then Sacramento is another case where that's not always the case. Yeah, but you you know what? You have a lot more freedom <coughs> on young teams than you do on, on, on a championship team. So, yeah, I mean, I think that if you um, if you trade him and you can get something for him, maybe, maybe a couple vets, because they still have some issues that they need to, to shore up, but you're not going to get much for him. But if you can get an expiring or something like that for him to kind of build your team, I mean, clearly he's not in their future. And he probably shouldn't be. Yeah, I would really uh, like, I mean, I say this a lot, but I would really like for the Miami Heat to go get him. Um, if you can send a couple of those contracts as role players. And, I mean, he his contract is just on the rookie contracts. So you really talk about, what, 10 to $12 million to send over there. Maybe get some a future first or a future second. That's the best they can wish for. Because they, they devalued him by the way they used him. They could at least showcase him. But you don't have time because you're in championship mode and now it's so competitive. But speaking of the Sixers, it's been a couple of weeks now since the Jimmy Butler trade. How do you think this trade is looking for both teams? Uh, I think it's a good trade for both teams. Although, uh, if you are Minnesota, I mean, if, look, Tibbs got Tibbs ain't gonna be there at the end of this year. And I know they went four and one or something like that. Um, 
when they when they first made the trade, uh, which is good. And I think this was a great trade for Carl uh, uh, Anthony Towns. I'm over Andrew Wiggins. I think the dude's a bum. I and, and I don't mean like you know he shouldn't be in the NBA. I just don't think he's a good player. I, I don't think he cares enough. Um, but expectations were too high for him. Most likely, but I think it was a good trade for Minnesota. Um, you got two really good glue guys, young guys. Um, but then you know, as as for Philly, I think it was great for them. I mean, G- Jimmy Butler, you now have that guy that can take the pressure off Ben Simmons in the fourth quarter because Ben Simmons doesn't want to drive in the fourth quarter and he doesn't really want the ball in the fourth quarter because he can't shoot, can't shoot free throws. And now you got a guy who in the fourth quarter, he doesn't shrink in that spotlight. So um, I think it was a great trade for them and he's already hit two game winners um, in the past two weeks. So Yeah, and that's what, you, that's what they were kind of missing last year against Boston. They needed someone to be able to take the game over when they do some different things to take Joel and being out. Um, someone that can actually, and Sark just wasn't that player. I mean, Sark's a good, solid player, but he's not a player that can take over. And Covington was streaky. So I like the Jimmy right. Butler for them to give, give them an alpha that can actually lead and guide that team. Um, somebody that you can actually depend on in the playoffs to make big shots. And for Minnesota, I thought it was great because you don't you don't get a lot of fall off on the defensive side switching out Robert Covington, and you really don't need that extra on the offensive side because you have offensive weapons. So your defense kind of stays the same. Um, it allows Cat to become the focal point of the offense, and Covington um, has knocked is a knockdown shooter. They needed three point shooting. Covington's a, a knockdown shooter. Um, un, I know some people don't agree with me. <laughs> And Sark's a young talent. So I think that trade was great for both teams. Yeah, and like I said, I think Minnesota's going to shake some things up at the end of the season they need to. I, I don't think Tom Thibodeau is a 2018 NBA coach. I just don't. Um, He's still going with a seven-man rotation, playing everybody. Just running 30. his dudes into the ground. <laughs> and Speaking of Minnesota, though, I want to give a quick shout-out to Derrick Rose. I mean, yeah, he is. He's balling. You know, the dudes come back and – you know, his numbers are almost as good as they were in Chicago, um, and in some areas better. And that just kind of shows you, you know, the, the heart. This guy was thinking about retiring at the end of last season. So for him to come back and, and, and put on the show that he's put on this season, man, I just, I love it. I'm happy for the dude, man. I mean, to see a great talent like that that didn't give up, I mean, it's, it's truly, you know, an inspiration. Yeah, and you don't always see this story play out that way. You see a lot of people try to come back, but it don't really work out, and they're kind of a shell of themselves, you know, like Penny Hardaway or Grant Hill. I mean, you can be a solid player, but to be putting up numbers the way he's putting up numbers this year and to actually have his confidence back, because that's what he's been missing the last couple of, like last year, he wasn't hurt. He, he was just obviously missing that confidence in himself. That's why I want – and going to the Knicks can do that to you. I mean, I think one day he just disappeared for two weeks and went back to Chicago or something. So I'm right. I'm glad that he finally got his confidence back because now um, if he can stay healthy this season, he can start to get back on the path to making up the money that he missed in those seasons where he was down. Because he's playing on a minimum contract right now. He's proven that he can be a six-man. He's embraced that role. That's one thing that Allen Iverson or Carmelo Anthony weren't able to do. If he can embrace that six-man role, you can see Derrick Rose playing on a roster for the next 10 years, which seems crazy after the knee injuries that he's had. But I can see Derrick Rose being on somebody's roster, being on contenders' rosters for the next 10 years because every team wants that guy off the bench that can come in and get you buckets. Yeah. Um, jumping around a little bit, 
we were both on the Denver Nuggets to start the season, and they started off the season, you know, white hot. But uh, they have lost, um, I think, you know, six of their last eight or something crazy like that to where they've kind of fallen off. Do you think it's injuries, inconsistency? Um, you know, Jokic has been very up and down. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of curious to see what, what you think about what's going on in Denver, especially since we both picked this team to be successful. I think ultimately they'll be successful. What they're missing right now is a score. Um, a lot of that came from Will Barton last year with him being hurt four to six weeks. They don't really have that alpha score. Joke is a really good player. He can distribute the ball, rebound, do everything like a really good glue guy. But they don't have an alpha score. Jamal Murray's too inconsistent. Um, Gary Harris just had to show that dog in him. But Will Barton is that guy. He's the guy that can close out games, come in there, get tough buckets. When the offense is kind of stale, he can go one-on-one and make baskets, be a playmaker. And that's what they're missing. You have two of those guys sitting on the bench that's hurt right now. And Isaiah Thomas and Will Barton, I think they'll be just fine. But they need they need that 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 alpha out there. And they don't have that alpha right now because Jokic just a little bit too soft. And that's going to be their problem. You're, the best player on your team can't be that soft. He's going to have to tough enough. And that's kind of what Jimmy Butler was saying about Cat. Like, if you're going to be the best player on the team, then you have to be that dog. And some players just don't have that in them. So they need another paid player to compensate for that. What I would like to talk about is, even though it was for a brief amount of time, the Memphis Grizzlies were number one in the West. And now the L.A. Clippers are number one in the West. Um that's that was a bit surprising. I actually picked I picked the Clippers to be better. I thought that was a team that people were sleeping on. Um, but the Memphis Grizzlies, as I jab at you about all the time, they're kind of surprised me with their play. They look really really good. That that grit and grind style. Conley looks like he's back to relatively good health. Um, and Jaron Jackson, I really likes what like what he brings to that team. Uh, he brings that youth that you guys need. So I I like it. I don't think it'll last eventually. They may fall down to the 6th, the 7th seed. I do think this is a playoff team. But if this is a playoff team and the Clippers are a playoff team, that brings an interesting question. Because now you're looking at two or three teams that may not make the playoffs that we thought would. Like the Jazz. <laughs> yeah, the, the Jazz have been abysmal. Uh, but real quick before we get off Memphis, I just want to point out to all the, the people who don't watch Memphis or, or who just, for whatever reason, oh, I think Mike Conley is very overlooked. If this, this don't show you that the dude is an all-star, or at least our MVP, because when he's on the floor, we win. Yeah, that, I mean, that's just he's a big plain difference. and simple. Dude's like a 30-point game differential. <laughs> he really is. I mean, and, and it's just, you know, it, it's great to see Mike back. And, and I, I hope that and he won't get any all-star love. I mean, the West is just too deep. But it just goes to show that how much of a difference maker he is versus what, you know, Memphis is a lottery team without him. And just like last year, we could be a playoff team with them. Um, but you know, the yeah. crazy part about it is going to be that Mike Conley probably will never make an All Star game in his career. He probably right. be just as deep in the West. Just keeps getting deeper. He will never make an All Star game, but he's probably the the most valuable player for most teams. I mean, if you're looking in the West, I would say he's top five most valuable players, if not two or three. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, you know, kind of talking about the teams that probably won't make the playoffs that made it last year. I mean, you talk about Minnesota, New Orleans, Houston, Utah. New Orleans, I mean, all those teams I think are, New Orleans makes it. 
Well, I'm just saying all those teams as of right now, and I know we're only 20 games into the season, um, you know, that made the playoffs last year, and these guys are 500 or worse. So. I also think that makes it a lot harder for LeBron because no one expected the Clippers or Memphis to be this good. And even then we were putting LeBron to where between 6th and 8th seed. So now you put in that the Clippers are good and you put in that uh, – you know, Memphis is good. That just makes it a lot harder for those Lakers to make the playoffs. I think I think LeBron's working with an uphill battle to make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think the West is just kind of crowded right now. I mean, you if you look at the – and I hate saying that. As a, if the playoffs started today, they don't. We're 20 games into the season. But Sacramento is better than everyone thought. They're 10-10. 10 and 10. Um, <clears throat> You know, right on the Lakers' heels. And then Orlando you know, is playing better than everyone thought. Mm-hmm. Steve Clifford. Yeah, Orlando is playing a lot better. Yeah. So, um, speaking of of just complete train wrecks, what are the Washington Wizards doing out there? Um, unfortunately for them, it looks like that they're the only person they're going to be able to move. Well, only people they they're going to be able to move. They're not named John Wall, just because of that monstrosity of a contract that he's got. And John Wall is not a bad player, but. Personally, I'd rather have Bradley Beal because you see what kind of team you can have when John Wall's not there. Um, you can still build around a Bradley Beal, Otto Porter, Kelly Oubre needs to be. I, I'm sure Wizards fans will drive him to the airport. <laughs> um, you know, so but they can't trade John, John Wall. They're, the contract just won't let it happen. They can trade him. There's no such thing as a bad contract in the NBA, which has been proven time and time again. Um, they're just gonna have to be willing to take pennies on a dollar. You know, I don't care if he's an all-star. It's just not working. It's holding back your organization. It's holding back development. Sometimes addition by subtraction. So I think they're going to have to move John Wall and just not get what you expect for him. They have to get some couple of expiring contracts and second-round picks. But at this point, I don't see how you keep John Wall. Bill is obviously the has more upside. Um, you got. I think you need to get rid of Markeith Morris, too. But you just have some locker room. They should never have signed. Now, let's talk about that. Dwight Howard. If you have, like, lingering issues in your locker room, Dwight Howard is the guy to come in there and just blow it up. I'm not even saying he's done anything, but just something about Dwight Howard's presence. When he gets on a team, that's like the final straw. <laughs> your, your organization I mean, is done. So while I do agree with that, by all accounts – Dwight Howard has been a model citizen. It, it's energy. But it's, it's now, negative energy. It's negative he energy. Gets, he gets caught with a tranny, and he's been out with some booty issues for, <laughs> for uh, a good part of the year. That can't help locker room vibes. Nobody's going to want to be shaking his hand. Nobody's going to want to be jumping in the showers with this dude afterwards. Well, Dwight Howard I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the way. doubt because the, the person that accused him has been known to put up fraudulent statements. So I'm going to – I'm going to hold up on the Dwight. It's too easy. I mean, he has a butt injury. They got clips of him, like, doing questionable things. Just low-hanging fruit. I'm not even going to – I'm not going to get on it. <laughs> you know, what he wants to do is his business. <laughs> but I did want to touch on before, you know, before we end, what's up with the Wizards? I mean, not the Wizards. What's up with the Warriors? Do you think this is the end of the dynasty? If you don't know, um, Katie and Draymond Green got into a bit of dispute. We're about, you know, a week late. But it's kind of been a big issue. Now Draymond is out with a mysterious toe injury. The Warriors have lost something like, what, six of the last eight or something like that? Um, yeah. What do you think? Is this the end of the dynasty? 
no, uh, maybe, <laughs> you know, but no, I, I don't think this has anything to do with it. Apparently what Draymond said was, uh, you know, go ahead and leave because we won with you. We'll win without you. Um, and he also called him a bitch several times. Yeah, but you know, KD is, has bitch tendencies every now and again. <laughs> so, so that's uh, valid. So we can't count that. I get it. You know, but, you know, honestly, man, it's, look. The Warriors have the most talent in the league. They're the best team in the league. They they are. But this goes to show me show you that if KD is thinking about leaving, I want you to see even if you got a cat as good as Clay Thompson, that you're still not a great team. That team needs Steph Curry. Yes, he's the engine. And 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 this goes to show you that those MVPs were deserved. Yep. And that he's the best player on that team as far for that team. Maybe not as far as um you know uh ability goes but he's the best player on that team yeah it's funny because if you look at that offense with with Stephen Curry and without Stephen Curry it's totally different um he, night and day yeah you need him that offense looks bad without him people aren't getting open isolation it looks like the average NBA offense and we talk about like the Portland Trailblazers and what they're doing and this and that and the other without Curry that's how that offense looks and that's why I believe that they would be better off if you can do it financially, letting Kevin Durant walk and keeping and signing Cousins. Boogie. Because as much as Durant brings to the table, you can live without Durant. They've proven that. I mean, last year at the end of the season when he was out three or four weeks, they didn't. that train did not stop rolling. But if you add Cousins to that offense, Cousins is more of a distributor, rebounder. He does a lot of same things down low that Curry does on the outside. So that way, if you did get an injury to Curry – the offense won't just stand still because you can flow that offense through um, DeMarcus Cousins. Now, I know you can flow the offense through Draymond Green, too, but it's different because Draymond Green isn't a legitimate score. But you put a DeMarcus Cousins out there, it looks a lot different. So I think the KD thing was great. I think it's time for KD to move on, um, go chase his own legacy. I thought he would stay, but obviously I don't think he's going to stay now just because if – Draymond is the mouthpiece to say these things, but obviously that's a feeling in the locker room. So I think that he leaves, but I think that they should try to sign Cousins. I don't think the dynasty's over because I think we're about to see something incredible when Cousins hits the floor in December. Um, but you do, like you said, you do see how important Curry is to that offense. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it just goes to show you, like, you know, Steph Curry, those MVPs were deserved, and he, you know, they don't win championships without Steph. So, um, kind of say KD was the the Finals MVP two years in a row, or whatever reason you want to, but now we know that that's just an above average team. Not, I won't say that. That's no, just a really good team still, without Steph. Let, let's not let's make it clear. They're, they're still they're a still top a really good team, team without in the Steph, West, but they're not Curry. a great team without yeah. Steph. They're just not the dominant dynasty yeah, running my over bad. people. That my bad say. for taking Golden State for granted. My my fault. <laughs> I, I did that. My yeah, bad. I mean, they're still we're still talking about top three team in the West. They're not the Minnesota Timberwolves. <laughs> yeah. my, my fault. Yeah, we got uh, got to clarify that. You're making it seem like it all will fall apart. That's not the case. Whoops. Um. All right, last man, before we get out of here, something I want to bring up. I'm back in on The Walking Dead. Man, you're such a bandwagon Walking Dead fan. I don't want to hear that, man. I'm back in on The Walking Dead. This season has been great. I've skipped the last two seasons, which apparently I didn't miss much. Uh, 
and they've got a new showrunner, Angela Kang, and she is, and it is Kang for for you, those y'all out there. Just think I'm, you know, country. <laughs> uh, That's you me. know. She went eight for eight or whatever, eight for nine or whatever it is. Every episode this season has been great. Uh, no fillers like oh boy, the old showrunner Scott Gimple was known for. No cliffhangers. Uh, the last episode was shot beautifully i just i'm I'm back in man they they, she didn't grab me and that's what that's the show that i fell in love with from season one so hopefully that continues yeah and um another thing i like about it is she knew that she was taking the show in a different direction and it made it made it a lot easier for people to come back and not have to make up on the seasons like there's nothing that you would have to you like you said you didn't really miss anything by what you missed especially since spoiler alert they pushed the they pushed the show up six years. So you know, kind of after Rick left, the show's been pushed up six years. So you can kind of start from scratch if you want. Um, you don't have. There's nothing very like seriously important now. You might want to catch up on some of the Negan. Why is Negan in jail? Some of that. But overall, I think you can just dive back in and skip those other seasons and not feel that bad about it. Yeah, and that's kind of what I've gathered. I wouldn't dare go back and watch two seasons. I mean, I just I can't. Um, they just what I, they did with the Negan thing. I mean, they just kind of stretched it too long. I mean, they 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 built the anticipation up. Um, they wanted it to be like the governor where they did that for two seasons. They just stretched that whole thing, that war, too long. Like you said, with filler episodes, that could have been done in a season and a half, and they could have moved on. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, I, I will say this: I still think that the the character and I, I won't go into you know what happened i mean it just happened this past sunday so i won't spoil it but some of the characters are still a little bit underdeveloped like one of the main characters that may have left the show this past week really underdeveloped and i don't think they lived up to the potential of that but i get it i it was one of those things to where if you're gonna have someone you know the one one of the big issues with the show is they never kill off main characters and now they kind of go with that Game of Thrones style that nobody's safe. So I get why they did that. And, you know, I, I guess the, apparently the, the the actor wasn't super happy being on the show because they the, the character didn't go the way they wanted it to. Um, so, you know, but I still think it was well done. I do. All right. That's it. That's all. We'll holla at y'all next week. Peace.